Hi, everybody, and welcome back to The Veterinary Optimist. I'm your host, Jennifer Evans. You know, when I started this podcast, I knew that I had planned on bringing guests on that weren't necessarily from the veterinary profession. Um, I talked to Holly, and, and when we first started having conversation about doing this episode, I told her about how far too often in veterinary medicine, we have technicians or office staff that have just been there the longest. So they're the next in line to be in management, right? And, and a lot of us want that. And a lot of us want to grow and get more titles under our belt so that we can use that for, for bigger things and for our next journey. But half the time, we're not given the right tools to actually be a good leader. And, and, and that's why I think it's so important to look outside of our profession to better understand different things that can make us stronger in those roles. And that's part of what today's conversation is. You know, um, Holly is a good friend of mine and, and, and I've been waiting to get her on this podcast and I've been bugging her and bugging her. And finally <laughs> she said, yes. So I would like to welcome Dr. Holly Garcia, who is a doctor of philosophy in leadership studies. She did her dissertation with a specific focus on birth order and servant leadership. And I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to my season one finale, but in that episode, I talk about how servant leadership is one of the things that I work on probably more often than anything else. In fact, servant leadership is in my purpose statement for my professional career because I am so passionate about it. And when I found out she did her dissertation around this, I was like, that's it. That's what we have to have our conversation about. And so today we're going to dive into that a little bit. And I could not be more stoked for the conversation that we're about to have. You know, people have to pay a lot of money to go to conferences to hear from people like Dr. Garcia. And so with that being said, I say, let's kick this conversation off and, and welcome, Holly. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so honored and excited to be here. And I love this conversation um, because there are so many people that have heard that buzzword around servant leader and can relate with the concept of being a servant leader and putting others first. Um, however, However, there's so much more depth to servant leadership and the characteristics that many may not know. Um, and I hope our discussion will bring awareness to that. So servant leader is putting others first, um, being successful through the success of your followers or your team. And the theorist who is Greenleaf, um, he had in his theory, he had stated that a leader cannot be taught to be a servant leader, but they can serve, learn to serve and thus grow into a servant leader. Um, so I think that's really interesting perspective. You can learn to serve just like you're talking about serving others. Um, anybody can learn how to serve, but, and that helps you grow into a servant leader, um, but you don't just jump into the servant leader role. You learn how to serve others. So that's why I love this, this whole topic, this whole conversation. I love servant leadership. Well, and, you know, one of the things about vet med is we, and this, and this, this is actually something we'll probably touch base on a little bit later, but, you know, we just focus on how we can give and how we can show up each day. So it'll be interesting to take what we already do and, and put it into the different characteristics as you talk about with actual servant leadership. So let's, let's start with my first question, because this is what really got me my wheels turning on 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 how this all played out and how your dissertation came up but what how did the link between 
birth order and servant leadership come up? Like, where did that happen? Yeah. So birth order came out about 10 to 15 years ago. Um, I was at a bookstore here in San Antonio, just looking through the books. And I found one that was about birth order and it caused me to stop and look at it. And my first inclination was to open up to the table of contents, look up the babies of the family or the last borns. And I turned to that chapter right away, skipped the entire book and went to that chapter to read that, that first sentence. And it just, um, it hooked me right away because that first sentence said something along the lines of, if you are the last born or the baby of the family, most likely you skipped the entire book and came straight here. And that spoke exactly to me um, as a baby of a family. I wanted to know more about me and my characteristics. Mm, I love that. So I'm a baby too. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm not a baby, I'm the baby, but um, <laughs> so it's funny because I read an Enneagram book recently and I wanted yeah. to jump right to my number just to find out like, what's my number about? Tell me about myself. And the very first sentence in that book says, do not skip to your number, <laughs> read through all of it. And I'm like, ah, oh, okay. So I love that you said that because that gives me a little justification for wanting to jump right to that chapter. So, mm-hmm. okay. So tell me something when you started to look into, cause I know I, I took a quiz on your study behalf because I wanted to add value to what you were doing because I, I'm yes, just thank you. I'm so proud of your entire journey. But, but part of that was, it, it got my curiosity ticking of like, what did you find out about birth order when it comes specifically to these characteristics that we're talking about today? Yeah. So uh, there's eight car- characteristics of servant leader and we'll go through all eight of them in just a moment. Um, but the first one that we're going to focus on is courage. So my study uh, found that an only child or a firstborn is less of a risk taker, which may be due to their upbringing, their parents may have maybe more overly protective because it's an only child or a firstborn. And the opposite happens with babies, the babies of the family. So the last born or the baby of the family, such as you and I, um, mm-hmm. our parents may have been less protective, allowing us to run wild and run crazy and be riskier. So I thought that was really interesting. It does speak to the difference between myself and my oldest sister. I do feel I'm more of a risk taker, not only in just life, but in work, in a business setting. I feel like I could apply it there as well um, in the risks or the decisions that I'll, I'm um, more inclined to make. And yeah. God, I so almost, I that was- if you were to give an example of how risk-taking or courage shows up as a leader of a team, can you just talk talk to me a little bit about that, kind of an example of, of what we talk about when we talk about courage or risk-taking? Yeah. Um, so the definition of courage is daring to take risks and trying out new approaches to old problems. And with um, when I think of my team, so I have a team of nine. And when I think of my team, the way I show courage is in doing just that, facing new challenges, making difficult decisions when the outcome is uncertain. Um, taking risks that my team may experience failures and acknowledging those risks and being prepared for those risks, uh, being prepared to support them if they do make failures or make the wrong decision and really accepting that risk exposure for my team. So that's a version of how you can um, contribute it to a work setting or a business setting. Specifically with me on even this podcast, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. I I just knew that I, that I wanted to make massive impact. 
I knew that I had the gift of conversation and I knew that I had a passion to bring awareness and optimism to vet med. And, and I just went for it. Like I took this courage and I took this risk to start this. And it's been one of the greatest decisions of my life. So I think that when we talk about this as one of the different attributes, it, it it's almost important for the listeners to reflect on things that happen that they're already doing mm-hmm. that could be categorized under this. And, and how can they do more of that? Would you say that that's a, would you say that's a true statement? Yeah, absolutely. So really looking at, um, and it was a good exercise going through um, the dissertation and looking at the different attributes and putting it in my own, my own situation and scenario. Um, what can I do to increase my servant leadership range or be a stronger servant leader? So absolutely sitting down and self-reflecting and seeing how, how does courage play out in my current role? I think it's very important. Yeah, I, I love the thought of, of us breaking these down because as we go through each one of them, you know, we're going to be able to, we're going to be able to use that to reflect back. Mm-hmm. And, and so if we talk about moving through the different characteristics and we know that courage, so courage is one. Mm-hmm. So the second one we're going to talk about today is stewardship. Stewardship. Okay. Can you tell me what stewardship, the actual definition of stewardship? Cause I know what I think it is yeah. in my mind, but I need to hear the real one. Yeah, for servant leadership, uh, stewardship is the willingness to take responsibility for the larger institution. So focus is on the organization, the wider society, and highlighting the importance of the community. Mm. Okay. So this leader... Oh, sorry. sorry. Continue. Yeah. This leader cares for the team members, the organization, and how does my team's goals and my team's objectives align with the larger institution, the larger organization, um, and recognizing the team's positive impact on the organization as a whole. So that's how I would see it as in my my role at work. Um, how does my team play into that? There are so many clinics now that are corporately owned, right? Like there's a much bigger umbrella that has so many other people working behind the scenes. And because of that, these clinics have to have very specific goals. They have to hit very specific things, right? And if we try and fight that and we try and not work that into part of our um, part of our core focus, we're only hurting ourselves as a team and mm-hmm. as a practice as a whole. Would you say that that's an accurate statement? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I do agree with your statement. Um, it's so important to take care of our team members and it goes back to servant leader, the true definition of your team is successful through you, or excuse me, you're successful through your team's success when you're serving them. So it's so important to put certain things aside and really take care of the people, the health, their mental health, their physical health, everything. Mm, I love that. Yeah. You know, again, I don't want to hover on it too long, but you know, going back to whether corporate owned or there's um, sister clinics or whatever that is, if there's a goal that's set by somebody outside of who works in that clinic every single day, sometimes it's easy for us to, um, 
to not make them part of what we're trying to accomplish, right? Like it's easy to say, well, the people in the higher ups said that we have to do this. So we have to do this. And for me, that really puts a division between everybody working together, whether they are in a different office or in a corporate office, essentially that divides us and we're not working towards a common goal. So you're saying that stewardship would be to help our team also recognize that there's more than what meets the eye and there's more than what, than what, than what maybe we see every day. Right. Yes. That's a great way to say it. Um, And then helping. So I also take responsibility for ensuring my team knows the impacts that they have for the greater good. So our, you know, at our financial institution that I work at, it's large and we are, we have a huge mission, but it's uh, how do I show my team the line of sight to the mission and how we make an impact. So maybe we're not the ones that are um, doing the face-to-face with our members and everything, but it's really important to show my team how their work does align to the mission. And in essence, that's really stewardship, putting the idea of the mission at at the forefront and showing my team how we impact that mission. I really love that you brought that up because you do work for a company that has thousands and thousands and thousands of Mm -hmm. colleagues. It is a massive place and you're a team of nine, right? And that, Mm -hmm. that's a lot of what we, what happens to us. Like there's a giant corporate company, but we're a team of 15. That's only one portion of that company, but we are all one company together. And sometimes it's easy to draw that line. Mm-hmm. And I just, I hope that this portion of the conversation really helps people realize that it's just so important to make sure that we are one, we are all one. And and so I'm, I'm grateful that, that we really got to dive into this a little bit. Well, and that kind of moves us into the th- third one that we're going to talk about is empowerment. Mm-hmm. The third one. Yes, it is. Okay. I love that. I love that. How does empowerment show up in servant leadership? So empowerment is motive is a motivational concept focused on enabling people and encouraging personal development. And this one literature shows that empowerment is crucial because it raises employee satisfaction and it boosts productivity. Um, people are inspired to produce their best work when they feel empowered and respected. And so this one is really important. I, I think I use the word empowerment a handful of times throughout the day and encouraging. I empower you to make this decision. I empower you to determine the solution and define the the process. And so this one's really important. Um, not o- And just as I mentioned, not only for employee satisfaction, it boosts productivity respect, um, inspires them. So this one definitely is an important one. And it kind of feeds off all the all of them. So just like we were talking about stewardship, um, they're empowered to understand how we fit into the organization and making decisions for the greater good. Um, courage, that- they're empowered to make those risks and take those risky decisions. I empower them for that. So you may hear empowerment a couple of times throughout the conversation. Well, and I, this goes back, right into vet med, you know, and I talked about this a couple of episodes ago with um, Denise Dreyer, but her and I have this statement that we use when we talk about um, some technicians and I was one of them and she was one of them. And so by no means am I pointing fingers because I was that human, but there's this, this thing we call the super tech syndrome, right? Like 
there are so many technicians who I think it originally, and I'm going to speak specifically for myself, right? Like I had this leadership position and the way that I first saw it was if they can do what I can do, what's going to stop them from taking my spot or me not having Mm -hmm. value here at this practice. Mm -hmm. And that was a very selfish way for me to look at it. And it didn't take me long to start to adjust that, but that was my original protective side of it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and I think that, I think that whether that is someone else's thought process or not, or whether they think that if they do everything, it will save them time because nobody else is trained well enough to do it. Or if they do it, they're going to do it wrong. I don't, there can be so many different avenues of the way that people view it. But ultimately, there are a lot of people in vet med, a lot of technicians who have what I call super tech syndrome because they just do it all themselves. It's easier for them to do them themselves than for them to train somebody. And that just makes this vicious cycle of, well, here's this super tech doing everything. Here's this new trainee not being worked with, not being taught anything, feeling like they're giving no value to the team, feeling like they can't talk about anything. They're not empowered to do anything. And then all of a sudden they leave the clinic to go somewhere else because they never felt like they were bringing value in the first place. And so I just believe that part of our job as servant leaders as leaders within veterinary medicine is to really just take that deep breath and know that when you're empowering somebody to be able to to do a new blood draw or place a catheter or learn anesthesia or you know handle ordering or anything along those lines you're not teaching them to take your place you're not you're not wasting your time by spending an extra five minutes by showing them how to do these things. And some of it's like, sometimes it takes days and weeks and months of training for them to be able to do it well, but ultimately it's going to give them relief at some point. Yeah. It definitely happens everywhere where you are scared. Others will take your job. If exactly like you said, if they know, then they, who's to say they can't be the boss here. Um, But empowerment is such a great tool for leaders. It's, such a great tool to offer empowering or empower your team to make the decisions because ultimately as a leader, if we were doing everything and making every decision, we're going to get burnt out and that leads to exhaustion and burnout and attrition and leaving and things of that, just making it even worse. So that's why I say it's such an important tool for leaders. Um, It helps not only the leader and burnout, reducing burnout, but in the in the verse of that, it inspires our team members. It gives them the power. And then they're most likely to stick with the organization because they feel that empowerment to make decisions. Yeah. And they feel like they're part of the team and they almost mm-hmm. have ownership in what they're doing. And when exactly. you have like this pride and this ownership, all of a sudden you're like, man, I feel good about this. I, I can't wait to come back the next day versus, oh man, I'm going to go back and they're going to be not letting me do anything and they're going to be talking down to me and they're going to be doing all of these mm-hmm. things. I mean, I, I can definitely see how, how it can, it can almost change the way you view your daily job with just this one being stronger in this one um, attribute and this one characteristic. Exactly. So yeah, I've seen it when, firsthand. Even when we talk about that, Holly, I love, I love where we're going with this conversation because it is just, it's almost flowing so nicely into the, all of the different ones that that we're going to talk about 
Yeah. So the next one is going to be standing back. And standing back means in servant leadership, it means the extent that a leader gives priority to the interests of others first and gives them the necessary support. So when I talk about that, um, how that looks to me is, um, and it's kind of a two-parter, it's kind of a, a good good in the bat with this one with standing back. But the key component is just standing back. And I'll start out with the hard part of it, standing back and allowing them to, allowing my team the opportunity to learn, love it, right? But it's also goes into risk-taking. Um, I am scared that, you know, what if they can't make the decision? What if they fell? What if something happens if I stand back? Because sometimes the lesson is in that failure, right? Sometimes I I could see it that it may fail, but the goal is for them to learn and develop for next time. And so that's why I say it's kind of a hard one standing back, but on the opposite, um, when it's good, it's good. When you see the dots connect, when you see the team accomplish their goals, um, when you stand back and just let them shine, um, and knowing they they deserve all the credits and never taking the light away from them, um, even if you gave them some feedback and who cares, let them get the recognition. So it's really my purpose is only to get involved when I can clearly see a way to add value to the process for the person, only get involved for that necessi- necessary points. Um. I love this one. So I'm going to be, this is where my vulnerability, I guess, comes in a little bit because <laughs> out of, I would say this is the one that I, at certain aspects of it, I'm really mm-hmm. strong in and certain aspects of it, I'm really, I have to work on, right? Because for me, I'm such an empath and I want to protect people. Mm-hmm. And I want to love on them. And I can feel when they have pain and when they pain. have pain, I have pain. And like, I just want to sit next to them and like, absorb all of that from them. Right. Mm -hmm. But yet I also know that some of my greatest lessons are from my greatest failures. And, and I've learned the most in those moments to see somebody you care about and somebody Mm -hmm. that you is on your team that you're looking after that you are, that you are, you know, serving every day, day in and day out. It is hard. It's to watch them fail. Mm -hmm. Even, even if you know, that they, the ideas that they have, they really want to see through and you want to give them that opportunity to champion those. Even if in the back of your mind, you're like, Holly, I've seen this before. I know that this might not turn out well. Like I want to protect them from that, but that's not the right thing to do. That's where I have to, that's where some of my strength needs to come in is, is like, Hey, they've got to do this. And when it happens, they're going to be okay. Yep. That's why I said it was the hard one. It's the hardest one out of all of them to do is just standing back and letting them go through that growth and being there if they need you and being there whenever it's time to step in, but really going through it with them and allowing them that opportunity to learn and grow. I remember whenever we had a, it was a dog and boarding and one of our kennel people just made this, and I, this might be a small example of it, but you know what? It's, it is an example of it. Made this decision of of how they were going to package up the leashes and the collars, and they really wanted to try something new, and and we and we wanted to make sure we're getting all of the stuff back to the owners. So they decided that they were going to make this new uh, protocol for how we were going to keep the leashes and collars, and and we saw a little bit of 
of a gap in there, but you could tell they were really excited about it. You could tell that that was something they wanted to do. So we gave them that opportunity. Well, it was a busy holiday weekend and we, the idea did not go as planned, right? So there were several upset clients that got these, these wrong leashes and wrong collars. Well, when people are picking their dogs up, they're impatient and sometimes they can be a little unforgiving if they're not getting all of their stuff so they can get out the door. Right. And this poor, this poor kennel attendant was getting kind of, kind of beat up by a client and it wasn't the right thing, but she, it wasn't the right thing by the client, but she wanted to be the one that went up there and said, Hey, I'm the one that got this mixed up and, and I'm going to make this right. Give me just a few minutes. Well, this client got upset with her and Dr. Lang, without missing a beat, goes up and gets right in between the two of them and settles that client down because she was one out of hand, mm -hmm. but two, it was clear that this tech or this kennel assistant was really sorry for the fact that there was a mix up. And and can you tell me, do you think that would be kind of an example of of a difficult lesson learned and when to step in? Yeah, absolutely. So um I completely agree. It's super hard to, I turn into a mama bear when I see somebody um, get a little loud with one of my team members. I want to stop it. Um, but there's a point that you allow them to try to work through it and you allow them to try to explain and offer their assistance and help. Um, but sometimes enough's enough. And it actually shows by doing that, you're actually showing your support for that team member or that employee. You show that like, no kidding. I, I don't care if you were at fault or if it was our fault, like enough's enough. And now it's time for me to come into the protective mode. So it actually works um, in your favor when you do allow a little to see if it's going in the way that you hope with learning and understanding and, you know, growing. But when it's definitely not stepping in and being protective, that's so a win-win. Yeah, I totally agree with you because you do feel protected in those moments. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the second part of what you were talking about whenever it comes to standing back is, is giving them the credit when it does go well, you know, that's I, the good part. Oh man. And it's one of my favorite things to do. Mm -hmm. I, I, Same. well, I hardly ever, and Dr. Earl, I did an interview with Dr. Earl a couple episodes ago and he was really big about this too. He never said, I, he always said, we, he never mm -hmm. said it was me who did that. It was the team that did it. And I, I loved it. Cause every time I caught it, I was like, yes, that is exactly how we should be. Like, I don't know anybody who is interested in leadership. There's a book that's put out by Abby Wambach. She was a soccer player. It's called the Wolf Pack. And it is one of the greatest leadership books you could ever read. But in that she talks about pointing, right? She, she was one of the greatest scorers in women's soccer, but she always talked about anytime she made a goal, it was never just her who made that goal. It was the team coming together. So she would always point to the team members who helped and assisted and made that goal possible. And I just, that just, in my mind, I was like, that fits so well with how I feel because I want it to always be about them. I want to always shine a light on, on whenever a team member accomplishes something. If a technician got a catheter on their first try, you would have thought they won the lottery in my clinic because <laughs> I mean, I just think that it is so valuable to celebrate when, when they do have these goals and they do make these things happen. So I, I'm really grateful that you, that you brought that up and that you really highlighted that when talking about standing back. 
just curious, do you know if uh, Abby was a the captain of the team? Because that would make sense of how she's constantly recognizing her team and pointing at them. Um, I, a team I, effort. I, I believe she was the captain. I don't ever want to speak out, out of certainty mm. on something that I wouldn't like bet my right arm on, but I believe she was the captain for the majority of her time on the um, U.S. women's soccer team. If that's not right, nobody beat me up though. <laughs> it um, would make I just sense recently, as a, I, a true servant leader. Well, and I just recently started um, watching women's soccer specifically because of Abby and she doesn't mm -hmm. even play anymore, but hearing her talk about it and then reading that book, I started watching some of her highlight reels and I was like, I think I'm going to become a woman soccer fan, which <laughs> is fitting for me anyways. But um, so yeah, that's my, that's my um, knowledge of soccer. They score <laughs> and other people assist and they love it and they run up and down the field. That's what I know. So, <laughs> if we were to recap kind of what we've talked about, we've talked about the top four, which mm -hmm. were courage, stewardship, empowerment, and standing back. In your opinion, do you feel like one of these four are more important than the other? Do you think they all have a vital role? I actually feel they all are intertwined. So there's many times I've already heard myself talk about risk-taking in one of the other ones. So when we're talking about stepping back, you're taking the risk of allowing them to fail. Um, I've talked about empowerment when I'm talking about stewardship. Um, so they start intertwining. You'll see that when we talk about the next four of how they continue to intertwine between them. So I don't necessarily feel one is more important than the other. They're all great um, characteristics and different, very, very different, yet similar um, to each other. So if you if you strengthen one, and my advice is really work on one, strengthen that, look at yourself, look at inside, look at yourself as a leader, um, try to become more self-aware of your behaviors and focus on one and how can you strengthen that one and then move on to the next one and just go through all eight of them such as that. Okay, we're going to put a pause on this for right now. Please come back for part two. That'll be next week. And we're going to dive into the last four, which are humility, mm -hmm. authenticity, accountability, and forgiveness. Forgiveness. Yep. Okay. I'm excited. Everybody stay tuned.